Sorry for this intrusion. This is Barbara. I just wanted to let you know that we have a webinar coming up on February 8th, 2024, and it's all about remote patient monitoring. Now, this is a way that you can add revenue to your practice while you are improving your patient care. And if you are a rural health clinic or a federally qualified healthcare clinic and you have been excluded, well, guess what? As of January of this year, you can now partake in this. So just go ahead and go over to npbusiness.org forward slash RPM 2024 or send me a message and we'll make sure that you get into that webinar. npbusiness.org forward slash RPM 2024. Now let's get you back to the podcast. This is the NP Business Matters podcast, episode number 57, Six Habits That Can Hurt Your Practice. Hello and welcome to the NP Business Matters podcast. I'm your host, Barbara C. Phillips, founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner and Clinician Business Institute. This is the podcast that is dedicated to helping you, the nurse practitioner, to start, grow, and succeed in business. And since 2007, we've been providing education, resources, and support about the business of being a nurse practitioner. And you can learn more by visiting us at npbusiness.org. Now, today's episode is about some different habits that you might have, and they're all negative habits, that are hurting your business, hurting your practice. Now, likely they're done inadvertently. I mean, after all, we're busy seeing patients, right? And and that's what we signed up for. But the other part that we signed up for in starting a business and starting our own practice is also taking care of the business end. And that is where the problem lies in. We all enjoy seeing our patients and aren't as skilled, perhaps, in taking care of the business, but that's exactly what we need to do. And if you're doing any of these, you are definitely setting yourself up for potentially having practice failures. So you'll definitely want to take a listen to this, see if you're doing any of these things, and then take steps in order to change that particular behavior. So let's go ahead and dive in. So as I said in the introduction, we're talking about basically negative habits that you might have that are hurting your practice. And all of these things are going to hurt you financially. And let's be clear, the majority of businesses that fail, according to all the statistics that are out there, and this includes medical practices, they fail because of a cash flow issue is overwhelmingly the number one issue for them. So this applies to a healthcare-related practice, a nurse practitioner-led practice, as much as it can apply to a retail store. So we want to make sure that we're not contributing to our own demise by having these particular habits. So what am I talking about? 
Well, one of the first ones, and this is especially true if your practice takes insurances, is that there's a failure to verify that that person has a policy, that that insurance policy is active, and that they actually have coverage for the service that you are providing. You also want to know, have they met their deduction for the year? And how much is that deduction if they haven't met it? And of course, if perhaps there's a question of if you are going to be covered in seeing that particular person, maybe it's a specialty practice and you might need prior authorization, you want to know that as well. And this is particularly important for those of us that are nurse practitioners because sometimes insurance companies will list us as specialist. And we may not be listed as the maybe the primary provider or something. And it's important to know that because when you're verifying this insurance, and this is another thing here, is it should tell you about the copay. And oftentimes as a specialist, copay is a lot more money. And I never realized that early on. And I remember having a patient who was part of a Medicare Advantage plan. And I'll say under my breath, that's why I do not like these plans. But she was part of a Medicare Advantage plan. They had me listed as a specialist. So every time she came in to see me, her copay was $50, five zero. It wasn't 15, it wasn't 10, but her particular Medicare Advantage plan charged her a copay of $50 every time she saw me. And consequently, that essentially met, meant that she could not afford to see me. After we did this for a while, she just said, I cannot continue to do this. And yet seeing a physician, she didn't have that kind of copay. So you want to be aware of that kind of thing. The other thing in looking at um, copayments and deduction is, do you need to have any kind of a prior authorization for that person to see you? And this you might see if the person has some kind of a plan where they are assigned a primary care provider and that's not you, you might have to get authorization from that primary care provider. Or again, if it's a specialty practice. So you want to be aware of that. Now, this type of thing should be verified prior to that person ever coming in to see you so that you know what's going on. And if there's anything that needs to be addressed with the patient prior to coming in, you'll want to get on the phone and make sure that they are aware of what is what is on their policy because we all know that that's not always the case. So the other thing is failure to collect the money that's owed you and the practice when that person comes through the door. So I just mentioned deductibles. And if you're not familiar with what a deductional a deductible is, is if somebody has a deductible, and it could be $100, it could be $5,000. It really just depends on the plan. But if they have not yet met their deductible for the year, that insurance company is not going to pay you a claim. It'll send it back to you saying that that is patient responsibility for whatever that allowed amount is. 
So you want to know what that is. Of course, the other thing is copayment. That should be collected at the time of service when somebody comes into seeing you. You want to collect that upfront first and train your patients, if you will, that, that that's how your practice operates. This is all part of the stuff that should also be in your financial policy and the agreement that the patient sign with you. And then, of course, the coinsurance, that's what's left over after the copayment has been made, the deductible has been met, the insurance company has paid whatever they're going to pay you, and then that additional 20, 30, 50%, whatever it may be, It'll come back on your on the EOB, ERA, saying that this is what is the patient's share that you have to collect from them or a secondary payer. So for instance, if a person has Medicare, Medicare patients in general, and I'm talking straight Medicare now, I'm talking about Medicare Part B, not Medicare Part C, which is an Advantage plan, but Medicare Part B, They generally do not have a copay. I've never seen that on a Medicare Part B patient. But Medicare will, of the allowed amount, they will pay you 80% and the other 20% has to come from whoever is carrying that secondary plan. Or if the person doesn't have a secondary plan, it needs to come from the person themselves. So that's a very common scenario. The other thing is failure to follow up on accounts receivable. So if you don't understand what accounts receivable are, it is really the money that is owed to you for the services you've already provided. And a lot of times you'll see accounts receivable into broken up into 30, 60, 90, 120 day buckets. Sometimes it doesn't go to the 120 days. It just goes 30, 60, 90, and over. So this would be if you have sent a claim to an insurance company. Your 30-day bucket is going to be the most full because you're waiting for that money to come in from the insurance companies. But each succeeding month, that number should be going down. So by 60 days, it'll be quite a bit less. By 90 days, it should be almost nil. And you shouldn't have anything in the 120 days, although we all do. And that's because of there may be other things going on with that claim. But you want to get that down. So it's the same if you have a cash practice, though. If you have a cash practice, have has the person paid you in a timely manner? Are you collecting that money up front? I really don't recommend that people bill out co-payments, but I've seen that done. But are you doing that? Is the person paying? You want to stay on top of whatever your buckets are and who owes you that money and to work to bring that money in. So when we talk about working your AR, accounts receivable, that's what we're talking about. Somebody following up working with those patients in order to get that money paid to you. You want your AR to be as low as possible because this is money you've already done the work for, it's owed to you, and this becomes a huge issue for a lot of practices. And I will tell you, and I think any business owner will tell you, 
the longer that money is unaccounted for, it is not collected yet, the less likely it is that you will see it. So you definitely don't want a huge AR. Another real issue is controlling spending not only in your practice, but at home as well. And some of the issues surrounding that with your practice may be perhaps you didn't set up a budget and you're not following any budget you may have set up. There's no inventory control. You're just ordering stuff. Maybe you've set it up on a a recurring basis. I mean, things like Um, Amazon, for instance, you can set up to order your coffee, for instance, on a uh, subscriber level so that it just comes to you every month and you get billed every month, regardless of how much you're using or if you need it or not. So you don't want that kind of a situation. You want yourself or somebody else, making sure that you don't end up with 3,000 gauze packages or something like that. You definitely don't want that. Impulse spending is a whole nother problem. You know, we get reps into the office or people contacting us and telling us how good something will be and how much money we can make from something. And we think, oh, great, I will start doing that. And we haven't really taken the time to look at what is it we're adding to our practice. Things may sound good, but it's really important to do your due diligence. If you are spending, say, $20,000 on some item, maybe, or, or more, a lot more, say for an ultrasound or whatever the case may be, some kind of a laser device, You need to figure out how many patients over what period of time that you need to see in order to pay for something. You really want to budget it out and make sure that it makes sense in your practice and not do this impulse spending. An analogy to that or or a metaphor that we can use is, you know, you're standing in line at the grocery store and there's all this stuff that they put up at the counter at the checkout counter and it's like oh yeah that looks good and and you just chuck it into your cart you do not want to do that at home and you don't want to do that with your business so keep an eye on those things again the budget the inventory control and impulse spending here's an issue that is really huge if you have staff and a lot of people think we need to have all the staff but let me tell you something staff whether it's an MA, a receptionist, the manager in your office, a biller, whatever you're using, staff is your number one line item. It's your number one cost factor in your business. This is it, number one. So you really wanna pay attention to how you are utilizing staff. And you definitely don't wanna bring anybody on until you know that everybody is being used to their fullest capacity. And I'm not talking about abusing your staff, but are they actually doing what needs to be done? And can you really justify another person? So you definitely want to be looking at that so that you don't have excess staff hanging around. The staff that you do have needs to be cross-trained. Everybody has downtime sometimes. And I mean, that's not necessarily a negative, but 
if you aren't, say, getting a lot of patience on a particularly, say, say a holiday, you know, just everybody's gone on vacation or spring break. And so you don't have a lot of patience that week. What else can your staff be doing? Are they cross-trained to give somebody else time off? Can they be using their time elsewhere? So you want to make sure that you're utilizing the people that you have. Just like at home, you're probably a multitasker. You want to make sure your staff can step into different positions and can pick up on different tasks when they're not being used in their base task. The other thing is, is are they really getting their job done? One of the questions that recently came up is, you know, making sure that staff get things done because they don't always seem to be, and they, there seems to be a lot of standing around, and that's not something you want. And so if you don't have, a, say, a checklist of things that they should be completing in a day, create one. And what I would have people do first and foremost, actually, is start writing up their own list. What is it that they think they should be doing or that they know that they should be doing and to start writing it down. And then you can take that list and start tweaking it and working with them so that you get an accurate list. And they also start understanding what it is that they need to be doing. So that would be a much better use of staff. So if they're just twiddling their thumbs because there doesn't seem to have be enough work for them to do, have them do that. Put them to work to help you write out the job descriptions and the policies and procedures and, and that sort of thing. And then, of course, you have the final say-so in that. So that's just one idea to help change some of this. But definitely, when you're looking at, do you have too much staff, not enough staff? Are they being utilized appropriately? You know, this is really important because, again, number one line item. Failure on your part to review your statements every month. So by that, I mean your bank statements, your credit card statements, and your financial statements. So one of the issues that comes up periodically for practices and nurse practitioners are not immune to this. It happens with physician-owned practices, medical practices. In fact, it happens in all levels and types of businesses. And that is having somebody who might be embezzling from your business. And so definitely you want to be looking at your bank statements, your credit card statements, and your financial statements. I myself have had looked at a credit card statement and it's like, what is this charge? Where did it come from? And, you know, there's enough fraud and stealing of numbers around there that that is something you should be watching like a hawk. In fact, on my American Express card, I have them notify me for anything over a certain amount so that I either get a, a text message, I get some kind of an alert that comes up. I even have had phone calls saying, hey, did you authorize this? And sometimes I have. And sometimes I haven't. They'll either even tell me if my credit card is being used outside my regular area. So I do try to let them know if I'm traveling so that that doesn't um, block my card temporarily until I authorize something. 
I learned that one the hard way, but it's a good way to stay on top of your finances. Now your financial statement, I'm talking about your profit and loss, your balance sheet, your cash flow, all of those statements. And if you don't know how to read them, I would suggest that you look at the, um, I believe it's the SBA, Small Business or SCORE, S-C-O-R-E, And both of those, I believe, have short courses that you can take on how to read your financial statements if you don't understand them. But that is something kind of like your business plan that'll help you keep your business on track. So I hope you have found those helpful. But before I end this part of the podcast, I want to remind you, if you are having difficulty in understanding how to actually get that practice started so that you're not making them these mistakes, then you definitely want to take a look at our upcoming course, which is the essentials of starting a practice. And it's actually much more than a course. It is a workshop. It will run eight weeks with a lot of support going six months into the future so that you can hit the ground running and getting your practice up and going. So you can get more information about that right now at npbusiness.org forward slash workshops. Or if you're watching the video, just go ahead and and, um, scan the QR code that is up there. This workshop begins April 14th. And enrollment is going to open April 1st through the 10th, and then we'll we'll start the workshop. If you're happening to be listening to this after April 14th, or actually after April 10th, you can go ahead and go to this same website, sign up, um, leave us your name and email address, and we'll certainly let you know of upcoming workshops for later in the year. So again, I hope you have found this in as helpful as you can. I'd love to know what are some of your habits? And if so, what are you going to do to change those habits? And if you would leave a comment over in our show notes at npbusiness.org forward slash habits that hurt all in as one word. It'll help you be accountable to yourself. And also it will help others get some ideas about what it is that they can do. And if everything is working for you, if you've got habits that are are positive and they're actually working for you, tell us about those as well. Because again, this can help. I really appreciate that you have taken the time to listen or to watch this podcast and leaving us a a rating over on iTunes or at Apple Podcasts because it really helps us and it helps people find the podcast. And if you know of somebody that can be helped by hearing this information today, please be sure and send them our link as well to the podcast. It's again, npbusiness.org forward slash habits that hurt. I want to tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen for leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or any of the podcasting places where you get our information because it really helps others find 
our information. And, you know, knowledge is power and nurse practitioners need to understand the business of being a nurse practitioner. I'm Barbara C. Phillips, founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode of the NP Business Matters podcast. Bye-bye now.